Well, it had to happen. Ohio State lost a recruit. We'll talk about the impact that has on the future of the Buckeyes secondary. And also, Brent Venables, what did you say? We'll talk about the comments Venables did not make. And more playoff anticipation. All coming up on Locked on Buckeyes. I'm your show host, Kyle Lamb. Thanks for giving us a listen. Your only daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. We are brought to you by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye. Licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Check them out at jfqlending.com. Lock on Buckeyes podcast is on all or at least most of your favorite podcasting platforms. Give us a listen. Tell a friend and family member or anybody you know. Spread the good word. We're on Apple iTunes Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say, play the Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. Check me out on Twitter at KYLAM8 or give us a listen on the show Twitter timeline at Locked on Buckeye. Sometimes in recruiting, you win some and you lose some. In this particular case, on Thursday, Ohio State football lost one. Clark Phillips III from La Habra, California, a commitment since back in June. One of the top defensive backs in the country. Probably the purest of pure corners that Ohio State had in this class. He indeed did decide to take his talents elsewhere, and that elsewhere was a bit of a surprise. He took his talents to Salt Lake City, Utah, where he signed with the University of Utah. Before I get into the aspect of how this impacts Ohio State, I will say this. I don't have any problem if he wants to go to Utah. I say more power to him. I've always said, follow your heart. Look, if he wants to be really good, if he wants to be an NFL defensive back, he's got a chance to do that at Utah. I know they've only had something like five cornerbacks drafted in their history. So the odds are stacked against them, but they've also not had that kind of talent. This is the highest rated recruit that Utah has ever signed, as crazy as that sounds. So he's got a chance to make his way into the NFL if he's good enough. I'm not going to criticize a guy for that. I can completely understand. If Utah was the place that he felt most comfortable, that he wants to further his education, his potential football career, hey, once again, more power to him. I applaud him for that. What doesn't make sense to me, and this isn't really a criticism, but just at face value, I just, I guess I don't get it. If the reason he flipped here was because of Jeff Halfley going to BC and taking that job and his most, uh, his closest relationship with Ohio State was with Halfley specifically, I guess that doesn't make sense why you would pick Utah then. If you didn't have an established relationship, are you any closer with Utah than you are with Ohio State? I guess that's the part that doesn't that doesn't register with me. If you wanted to be close to home, why were you committed to Ohio State? If all of these things mattered, why were you committed to Ohio State in the first place, and why did it take happily leaving for it to become a factor? So I'm I'm just a little bit perplexed at these things. It's not that I'm criticizing him. I don't think that he did anything wrong. If he wants to be at Utah, if his heart is in Utah, hey, go to Utah. He's going to be a really good player wherever he goes, I believe. And that's that's why this is not sour grapes. I, you know, I really think Ohio State fans should be disappointed by this. He's a good player, and Ohio State is losing out here. 
not losing out because you can't lose something that you never really had. But certainly this is a guy that I think could have impacted Ohio State down the road. Probably not next year, but certainly in the next couple years for sure. So I don't know what the the real reason here is. We may not ever really know. All I know is he is going to Utah, and this is kind of a big deal for Ohio State. I don't get it, but you know it's not to be critical. I just, from an outsider's perspective trying to look at this, I'm not sure why you would go to Utah over Ohio State. And I'm not one of those guys that says, oh, you know, he's making a big mistake. I don't think it's a mistake. I think he can accomplish everything he wants to accomplish at Utah. But you could accomplish all those things at Ohio State and have a real chance of winning a title on the side. And to me, that would be a big motivator. Maybe that's not his biggest motivation. And if it's not, then hey, who am I to tell him what he wants to do? Now, as it pertains to Ohio State, the the thing that the Buckeyes have going against them here is there's some talent in that defensive backfield, but they are actually shy, a little short on true corners here. If you look at the roster, certainly with Banks next year and Brown next year, and maybe Ryan Watts coming in, uh, there are some guys on the roster that can fill in in the short term. But as far as numbers are concerned, they're a little bit thin as to how many guys that they want in the cornerback in the defensive back room. Legend Cavazos is a guy that may stick at corner. He may be at safety. Josh Proctor is going to be a great safety. They've got talented guys back there. Losing Phillips for next year, I don't think really changes the roster complexion much, but it's 2021 and 2022 that it gets a little bit tricky situation because they've got some talented guys But because of transfers or guys leaving early or guys not panning out or injuries or whatever the reason, Ohio State would like to have a guy like Phillips in there because I think Phillips is going to be a star and I think would have been starting maybe not next year, but maybe by the time he was a sophomore, he's got that kind of a talent to be a starter. So not the end of the world for Ohio State in the short term. This potentially could impact them in the long term. Now, if Ohio State could find a grad transfer or two, or a guy like a, a guy like Darnay Holmes, it's been reported this past week that he's going to the NFL draft. If he changes his mind, if he enters the portal, which he may or may not have done anyhow, we'll see about that. There are some rumors out there. I don't know if he's entered the portal or not. It could just be a backup plan in case he doesn't hear what he wants to hear from the NFL people. But a guy like Darnay Holmes if he becomes available, could be a huge asset for Ohio State next year. Uh, Maybe it's somebody that didn't sign in the early signing period that is still out there they think that could help. Maybe it's a JUCO transfer. There are a number of routes here Ohio State could go to kind of cement the depth a little bit in these next two classes. But for the longer term, losing Phillips is certainly something that is not ideal for Ohio State. So I think he's going to be a good player. Ohio State fans, certainly be disappointed. How about that little remark that the University of Utah football Twitter account took at Ohio State? Talking about him signing with the University of Utah, a clear shot at Ohio State. That's cute and all. Uh, The University of Utah clearly doesn't have a lot of remembrance of history. They're not very good remembering who the big dog is and who isn't. Again, Utah has signed like or set 
five defensive five cornerbacks to the NFL draft all time. Ohio State has done that in the last few years. So uh, that's cute, Utah. The intern that runs the account, I'm sure he had a nice little laugh with that. But remember your place in the world. Remember who's going to be in the playoff at least a couple more times in the next four years. While, if I'm being honest, and this is not a shot at Clark Phillips, this is just straight truth, homie. Straight fire, straight dope. Let's be honest, Utah probably is not going to be in the playoff anytime in the next, well, four or five years for sure. I'd be shocked if they are. And that's even with the knowledge that the playoff will probably be expanding to eight in the very near future. How's that for a segue? Coming up next, more playoff talk. Is it expanding to eight? It sure seems like it. I'll explain. Coming up. I see you shiver with anticipation. Yes, I, I too am shivering with anticipation as we get ready. It's a little over a week now. We're almost there. We're, we're getting into game week. College football playoff. Semifinals. Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State, Clemson, next Saturday, December the 28th. I have been waiting. I've been quivering. I love these playoff matchups. It's so much better than the BCS, but I got to say, I think it can be better. I really do. I know some of you don't want to go this next step. I know some of you are saying, please don't go to eight. Keep it at four. But I tell you what, I also remember so many of you saying that two would be better than four. Many of you did not want to go to four. And let's be honest, everybody likes four better than two now, or it sure seems that way. If you don't like four better than two, you're one of the very, very quiet minority because there's not many people complaining about wanting to go back to two. There's a few out there that I've seen that say that, but I don't think anybody is really hating on four. And I think it's going to be the same way when, not if, when we go to eight. I don't think anybody's going to be longing for the days of two or four when we get there. I'll touch on that in a minute, but I saw a headline on SI, Brent Venables, defensive coordinator for Clemson. Oh my, Ohio State fans, Buckeye Nation, we're about to go crazy over this, where he said key, the key to beating Ohio State is, quote, not rocket science. And I, like you, I, I fell for the headline. I'm like, oh, man, these Clemson people are just so smug. They're so arrogant. They just don't get it. They don't understand the butt-whooping they're about to incur at the hands of Ohio State next week. And I do think that, by the way. Funny thing is, I, I'm not being cocky or arrogant. I'm not just trying to put on my scarlet and gray glasses and say Ohio State is just so much better than Clemson. But I look at the teams. Oh, Next week, we'll preview it more. We'll get into all the details because the devil is in the details. But I've been saying it for two weeks. You've heard me on this podcast. I really think Ohio State is about to put on the fireworks show because they're better up front, which I think is critical on both sides of the ball. And I think that they are deeper and more talented all across the ball, all across on both sides of the ball. Clemson is talented, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're overrated or don't belong to be in the playoff. Just because they ran through the ACC doesn't mean they don't belong. They do. They're a really good team. They're a top four team for sure. But when push comes to shove, 
the team that dominates up front, and I think that will be Ohio State, wins this game. It's very rare when you can say in a game, because we hear this all the time in sporting events, well, if you do this, then you win. That's the key. You know, the team that does this wins. Sometimes that's true, but oftentimes it's an overused cliche. But in this particular case, if Ohio State does what I think they're going to do up front, offensively, the offensive line against Clemson's front, then I think the Buckeyes win. Now, that being said, Clemson's pass rush, the blitzing especially, that is a critical area for Ohio State in this game. They're going to have to protect Justin Fields, and if he's healthy and not having the knee brace to give him added versatility, flexibility, mobility, able to maneuver in the pocket better, that'll help a lot because Clemson's going to try to blitz the heck out of him. They're going to try to confuse him. If he's able to make those reads, if he's able to see the blitzes coming, if he's able to avoid them and make plays with his feet, that helps a lot. But if Ohio State runs the ball like they think they will, then that's just the cherry on top. But going back to this headline, because I almost spelt for it, I saw the, it's not rocket science to beat Ohio State. And I'm like, boy, that Brent Venables, he's, he's in for another thing coming. But then I see the actual quote, and I look at this. Quote, I think anytime you have one of the top four teams in the country playing, it's going to come down to keeping their playmakers from making plays. I mean, it's not rocket science, but it sure isn't easy either. And when I look at that quote, I'm like, that's it? That's what I'm trying to be. That's what I'm supposed to get furious about. It's not rocket science. That's that out of context. That makes it sound a lot of worse than it actually was. What Venables is saying here is absolutely right. It's not rocket science. And the thing is, if you look at these coaches, they're going to say that to a man behind the scenes to, you know, about any opponent that they play, because these coaches always think that they have the scheme figured out. They're never really truly thrown off for an entire game. I think back to the Nebraska game against Ohio State earlier in the year. Remember that drive where Nebraska started taking snaps under center and looked like old school Nebraska with the uh, with the triple option attack and and <laughs> moving the ball downfield on Ohio State and everybody's looking at each other like what the heck just happened right? That doesn't happen for an entire game usually. Coaches make adjustments and they do things a play here, a tendency there, a formation here. You know, they do things throughout the course of a game that may keep an opposing defense off-balanced, but it never happens for an entire game. You never really, or very infrequently come out and truly keep a, an opponent off-balance for an entire game where you fool them. They just didn't see everything coming that you were doing. So Venables is is saying something that I think every coordinator would say it's not rocket science. We study film. We see what you're doing. You see what we're doing on film. We both make our game plans to prepare for what we expect you to do, and you do it, and it just comes down to whether we execute or you execute as to who wins. And that's what happened here. Venables is saying something that's absolutely true and that every coordinator would say either publicly or privately, but they would be saying it. So... I really saw this and I was I took the bait. I saw the the misleading headline and I was ready to go all in and I was going to come on locked on Buckeyes and I was going to oh man I was going to go all in, but to be honest, I have to agree with them. I'm just so ready for this playoff. I 
I think that this is a great matchup. This would be a great semifinal if, if both teams had an extra win to get to this point. Because right now, a four-team playoff, it's better than the BCS, but it feels like an invitational more than a playoff. If we move to the playoff, the same teams could win some years. The probability says it's not going to happen as much as some of you think. The probability says the odds of a the odds of two teams getting to the championship in an 18 playoff versus a 14 playoff. Well, the odds of those two teams actually getting there is only about 15 to 20 percent. So it's not as it's not as high of a probability as you think. But I, I think if it's not an invitational, if it's an actual 18 playoff where every single conference championship race matters till the very end, including the championship itself, I think that would help. Then you've got the group of five. And by the way, the reason you have to give a group of five champion a chance is because of an antitrust lawsuit. They're not going to put themselves in jeopardy of a lawsuit if they don't include the group of five, at least with some access to get there. And then you'll have a couple of at-large bids. This is coming. And if you didn't believe me with Joel Klatt saying it, if you didn't believe me uh, in a couple of the other reports we've had recently, the one coming from SI Ross Dellinger a couple weeks ago, well, there's more out there today. As on Thursday, an interview with Jim Delaney came out with The Athletic where he basically said, you know, we're looking at at a playoff. It's time to sit down at the table and have the discussions. Bob Bowlesby, commissioner of the Big 12, did this last week, said the same thing. Jim Phillips, athletic director of Northwestern, is saying it. Barry Alvarez is saying it. The momentum is there. As as Jerry Seinfeld said to Babu when he was being deported, the wheels are in motion. Things are happening. And that's what's happening here with the college football playoff, it is going to eight. I'm sure of it. It's just really a matter of when and how soon. I like it. You know, it's it's a shame that Ohio State has to face Clemson. It's a shame for Clemson that they have to face Ohio State. They would have had to face LSU. That's, that's a four-team playoff. But these teams, if they're going to face each other, it should not be put together as an invitational. I want to see them win a game first. The more access you give to more teams the more it's earned on the field you could have the same results in an 18 playoff in the first round and give us these same four teams that's fine at least then the teams got there on the field rather than in a boardroom that's all I'm saying and I think there are other ways and and we could have the scheduling argument I'm not going to get into that again because we've, we've talked about it before but there are other ways that this would help college football. I mean, look at a team like Alabama. If they're included in 18 playoff, and I know some of you cringe at that because you say, well, they didn't earn it, et cetera, et cetera. I get all that. But Alabama's a really good team. They're a talented team. And Alabama's going to have a couple really good players sit out this game, the Citrus Bowl against Michigan, because there's no reason for them to play. I don't believe that, by the way. I think there is a reason to play. I don't buy that line of thinking. But they don't think there's a reason to play, and they're sitting out. If Alabama was in a first round of an 18 playoff model, those guys would be playing another game. Isn't that good for college football? Seeing really good players play more meaningful games at the end of the season, I think it's great. But according to Jim Delaney, it's time to sit down at the table with all of the 
people like Delaney coming out and saying what they're saying, you have to believe they're already further ahead of us. What they're saying in public, it, I, I kind of think of it to, uh, as military technology. Okay, military is way ahead of the technology with the general sector, with the commercial. They're way ahead. What they're doing behind the scenes with the military is probably 5, 10, 15 years, 20 years ahead of what you're actually buying at the electronics store. So when you see something come out in movies or something that we can actually buy, that's because they've been working on it and using it for years with the military. And I kind of feel like that's what's happening here with the playoff. Like on a minor scale, of course, we're not talking about years and years and years, but these guys have already had the conversations. They already have a good idea of where they're going with this, that they're coming out and talking about it publicly means they're, they've already had the initial conversations. Now it's just a matter of getting back together and finalizing the details. And I think that's where we're at with college football. The playoff is coming. Delaney's comments, I think, show more proof that it is just a couple of years away. Coming up, more Locked on Buckeyes. Don't go anywhere. We'll wrap up the show. Ohio State, Kentucky, tomorrow at 515. The CBS Sports Classic. We'll talk more about it. Coming up tomorrow, Ohio State basketball back in action in the CBS Sports Classic. I previewed this game against Kentucky yesterday. It's a 515 tip on CBS. Fancy that, right? The CBS Sports Classic is being broadcast by Gasp CBS. Uh, this game kind of lost its luster just a little bit. Still number five versus number six. It could have been number one versus number five had things gone differently this past week. But of course, Ohio State lost that road game to Minnesota. Well, it's been further saturated by the fact I mentioned on yesterday podcast that uh, this was an interesting maneuver by Kentucky to get an extra game in Las Vegas at T-Mobile Arena playing Utah. Well, spoiler alert, narrator, they lost. It didn't help them out so much. Uh, They looked really, really bad in this game. I mentioned Kentucky shooting. They are horrible. They were already 29% coming into the game from three-point range against and against Utah, they went two of 17, clanked a couple of um, shots that could have tied the game late in, le- in the final minute. They are a really, really bad basketball team. I shouldn't say bad. They're a really mediocre basketball team as far as top 10 talent is concerned. They're struggling. They don't have a true post player. They don't have shooting. They really are a bunch of tall guards and wings and forwards that are struggling to find an identity. So I think Ohio State really is the better basketball team. Will that translate tomorrow? We'll have to wait and see because sometimes it doesn't. The better basketball team doesn't always win. It, it's, you know, Kentucky could be a terrible shooting team and they can go 10 of 19 from three-point range on Saturday and win by 10 points. That could happen. But I think going into this game, Ohio State is a better basketball team. We're still in wait-and-see mode on Dwayne Washington. Obviously, the Buckeyes could use his presence in the lineup. As I mentioned yesterday, 50% almost from three-point range. They're clearly better as an offensive team with him in the lineup. He's day-to-day with that rib injury. Chris Holtman emphasized on Thursday he still doesn't know when Dwayne Washington will be back. I'm sure he'll probably travel with the team out to Las Vegas 
but we don't know if he's going to play. We'll see. Ohio State, Kentucky, number five versus number six. Buckeyes trying to get a big win in the CBS Sports Classic. That's 515 on CBS out there in Las Vegas. That's going to wrap it up. So next week, it's game week. I mentioned it. We finally are to the semifinal, the Fiesta Bowl, Buckeyes and Clemson Tigers. I'll preview the game all week long leading up to the Saturday kickoff. And we also will unveil the top five Ohio State wins of the last 25 years as voted by you, the listener. Thanks to everybody who voted. I'll have to go back and and get the final tally, but we had at least two or 300, maybe 400 votes in this. So I'm really, really pleased with the responses. I'll spend the entire weekend tallying them up and we'll have the results starting with number five on Monday and we'll count them down until the Friday episode of Locked on Buckeyes. So the top five wins of Ohio State in the last 25 years, as voted on you, the listener, that'll be next week on Locked on Buckeyes. Be sure to tell all of your friends and family members about Locked on Buckeyes. Please spread the cheer. It's Christmas time. The spirit of giving. Help us out. Share the love and the joy here on Locked on Buckeyes. Find us on your favorite platform. We're on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say, play the Lock on Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. We're also on a bunch of third parties. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at KYLAM8. Follow the show, at Lock on Buckeye. Have a great weekend, everybody.